Hi, Love Leaders. It's Dr. Shannon Roberts, your host for the Love Leading Podcast, where we discuss how to create connection in your most important relationship that God designed, bringing health and sometimes healing while deepening intimacy. Welcome to the show. So welcome. Welcome to the Intimacy for Life Method webinar. So if you're here with us, thank you so much. So excited to get started. I'm Dr. Shannon Roberts. I'm going to be hostessing you today. So let's just dive in today. So excited that you're here hearing all of the um, ways that you can stay connected in your relationship. Please, if you haven't gotten your workbook, we just dropped those into the chat for you to be able to open up those link and follow, follow along. I don't know exactly what caught your eye as to the reason why you registered to attend this webinar. Um, maybe it's because um, you're in your relationship and you're early on and you just want to make sure that you are on track and know how to stay on track. Kudos to you. Maybe you're in a time of your life that you're in between romantic relationships and you don't know what happened to the last one, quite can't figure it out, but you want to make sure before you get into the next one, you want to know exactly what that entails and how to do that differently and right. Kudos for you. Maybe you are in a relationship where for some reason you don't feel that close connection and either you never had it or you did have it and somehow something happened to it and you're thinking, can it get back on track? Can I really experience that closeness? Dr. Shannon, that you talk about in that ad where you notice those couples in the room that really maybe have this secret sauce or this knowing kind of thing that they found the secret and you want it for yourself. And if that's you, kudos to you for being here too today. And I have a lot to share with you. Um, besides being a marriage and licensed therapist um, for 30 years and working with couples, I um, have a confession to make. I absolutely adore love stories. I love listening to them. I Listen, it's such a hobby um, that I don't even like to sit at a table in a restaurant. I like to just snuggle up to the bar because if that provides a divine appointment for me to talk with a person or a couple that's beside me that I get to hear, I just love people anyway, but I get to hear about them and maybe they have a love story and maybe they've never been asked about it and to see the brightness on their light on their faces just kind of shine as they drop into those kind of nostalgic moments and rediscover details and the nuances of that era and that time. And if their partner happens to be with them, how they begin kind of reminding each other of those details and maybe filling in each other's blanks and watching that demeanor on their faces move and shift. I absolutely adore that. 
I think we all sometimes need a good reminder of those foundational places where we started in those really um, embryonic moments of love building. But it's in the love sustaining sometimes, in the love maintaining sometimes that becomes a little bit more challenging, right? So yeah, I as a marriage therapist, I work with couples on all levels of the spectrum, right? So even those um, pre-engaged or engaged premarital couples that come into my office, and they usually arrive somewhat early because they're excited about getting into that office. <laughs> and they typically come in together. And when I go get them in the little waiting room, they're sitting side by side, usually holding hands or touching, maybe whispering in each other's ears. You could just kind of feel the electricity of excitement. Here we are, we're going to be talking about the us, and we're so excited about us, right? And they walk into the office, and they usually kind of move whatever, you know, pillows on the couch out of the way so they can kind of meet in the middle, and they're like touching, you know, from shoulder to knee, you know, and they have just like this deer in the headlight kind of look to them, right? Like. What are we going to learn? What are we going to talk about? Um, the only thing that matters in this universe right now is this right here, right? And then I, again, on the other side of that continuum, work with couples um, that are on that latter end of the relationship, maybe high conflict, maybe betrayal. Maybe even in that last ditch hope of this is the last straw because we're considering a calling it quits or maybe even considered already separation or are separated or maybe even consulted attorneys. And listen, that demeanor is totally different. They might show up at alternating times before the uh, appointment so that they're not having to sit in that lobby together and and maybe i go get them and um they are on maybe their screens and they're not sitting beside each other and definitely you can feel attention and there's no eye contact and maybe emotions are blunted or protected or guarded and they come into the room and whatever is going on in the couch they might kind of put um, those pillows as a barrier in between, and they are on opposite sides of the couch. And um, wow, the tension is like we could cut it with a knife. And I just asked myself if intimacy is truly what we all desire and want, the reason why we show up initially maybe at the altar or in a committed long-term ongoing relationship is because we really want it, then what happens? If we truly are hardwired for it, where we are the best version of ourselves when we are in and have it, what happens? 
And so today we're going to be talking more about that. And you might are here because you're like, I want that. I don't want to settle. I want to make sure I get it. I have it. I maintain it. And I get to experience it for a lifetime. So sometimes with those latter part of the continuum couples, we drop them into those love stories initially. We talk about kind of foundational stuff. Where did you start? Tell me how you fell in love. And it's not like how you met, because they can all give me details. But, uh, yeah, we met, you know, in college and we went to a function together or we were introduced by friends. Everyone can talk about those details in a non-emotional way. But when I say, how did you fall in love? They have to access a different part of their story. They have to open up that emotional brain again. And they have to re-experience how they felt, right? And sometimes we guard against feeling that. And through the process, sometimes of them retelling that love story, uh, we have a little bit of breath of fresh air in the room. They might start kind of letting their guards down. Maybe some eye contact is shared. Maybe that affect returns to their face. And they get to re-experience a point in time in the relationship that somehow has drifted from them. And so we are really here because we truly do want that intimacy. And what is intimacy? We want the knowing and being known at every level, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, Knowing and being known. Intimacy is into me, I see, right? So allowing ourselves to be seen by someone that it matters to, right? And that's what we long for. And we are such in a state where divorce rates are equally as high in our faith-based communities as they are in our secular. And listen, Here's the trend. We're growing so dissatisfied in our relationships of not having it and so desiring it. There is this thing called gray divorce. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there's this new terminology out there that this category of empty nesters, 50 and up, it has doubled in percentage in the last decade of how many people in that category are seeking out divorce. And if you read that article, just just Google it, Gray Divorce. And there's a lot of research out there. What's going on? Why are so many people who have made it so far for so long are electing to say quit? And one of the explanations is they've grown so dissatisfied in the mediocrity and the vanilla of their relationship, that the discontent and the dream and desire of wanting something different is allowing them to make a decision 
to say it might be worth the chance of a second chance. That scares me, right? Because I would rather both people say, okay, let's not do mediocrity. Let's figure this out. Let's go back to the drawing paper. And I get the privilege of having those people show up in my office and a high percentage of them saying at the same time, rolling up their sleeves saying, no, let's not let this happen. Let's get back to our foundation. Let's re-experience. Let's get back into and let's establish the rhythms in our relationship that we get to experience our love story every day. And that's why I love what I do. So that's why I'm glad that you're here. So if intimacy is something we desire and it is something that we're designed for, let's go back to God's design from Genesis 1. In the beginning, he created man for what? His pleasure. Exactly the same reason why you look at your children and they look similar to you and you take pleasure in watching and seeing and experiencing them. Same thing. And then he says, it's good. In fact, he says, it's very good. But then he says, it's just not enough. And so he creates the first marriage, the us, with one flesh becoming two, and all the other marriages thereafter are two flesh becoming one. And it's proven not only in scripture, but in science. And I love that. If you know anything about me, and you're going to be getting to know me more and more, my brand is, is that I love working within the realm of helping couples see and reveal how God not only um, designed it through his spoken word scripture, but also his spoken word in the world, science. And they don't contradict. And in both of those locations, we will find support that we are neurobiologically hardwired for connection, especially with one person in a deeper kind of way romantically. Let me say that again. It was God's design and he teaches it in his word and we reveal it in his in our science that we are neurobiologically hardwired for connection, especially with our romantic partner. And that when this attachment system is working, this ensures, just like when we were born with it as a child, emotional and physical survival with our attachment with our primary caregivers. It's the thing that leaves and cleaves with our romantic partner, this attachment neurobiological system, and it ensures emotional and physical, not just now survival, but enhanced well-being. It provides for the care and comfort of one another. So research reveals that this same attachment system transfers, like I said, from primary caretaker to your romantic partner and spouse because God thought that highly of it surviving. 
equally as much as your survival as a child in your developmental tender years, that this attachment system, the bonding, the co-emotional regulation, the alert system, like when I'm scared or hurt or sick or in need physically or emotionally, the alert system of crying is the same system that we show up in romantic partnerships. We are impacted emotionally and physically when we are feeling emotionally in need or physically hurt or in physical need of care and comfort that we alert our partners on it. It's that important. So if that's what we're hardwired for, and that's where we become our best version of ourselves in the context of a safe and secure, intimate, knowing and being known, emotional and physical connection, bond, then it's that important that we have to protect it, maintain it. Because everything in life that's worth anything, just think of it, your biggest investments are worth protection and maintenance. Because in life, everything is in a state of constant erosion, even your most important relationship. So it is the thing that leaves and cleaves. It serves the same function. It ensures the survival of the bond between the spouses. It creates the co-regulation of care and comfort. It's keeping the love for the necessary emotional and physical needs being given and received. So the attachment system, when working correctly in couples, creates safety and security. And I'm not talking just about, like, physical safety, like, you know, a roof over our head and food in our mouth. Those are basic needs that we co-labor on, making sure that we create the safety and security of a home that provides for our safety and protection and our physical needs. But I'm also talking emotionally our emotional felt needs, whether we believe it or not, we all have them. You know, I have, I have couples and I'm not saying it's just the profile of men, but sometimes it's really hard for someone, especially when they've been in a place of hurt or disappointment, um, where they can admit felt needs vulnerably or admit that they even have them emotionally, but we all do. So safety and security allows for the culture of care in the marriage and the relationship to form and deepen in its intimacy. And listen, the couples that I work one-on-one -on -one with, we go into this on a deep dive. You know, what is the culture of care? How come it's been so elusive? I'll tell you why. If you're anything like me, that was not taught or caught in the family of origin that I grew up in. And um, we are generations now into broken homes and broken generations. And sometimes we're not really prepared to know behind closed doors, the secret sauce of those are the ones that succeed. 
So we really go into a deep dive of this culture of care. How do we show up safe and secure? How can this both of us then connect? And how does it compound? Because we are experiencing it. So therefore, it changes us and continues to allow us to keep showing up in more and more safe and secure kinds of ways. It's compound interest. <laughs> but we really do a deep dive on that. So what do I mean by security? Okay. Security in a relationship allows each person to have a secure base of knowing, to go out into the world, not with the feeling of being alone, but with assurances of knowing that someone carries the thought of you with them, no matter where they are, present or separated. It's kind of like that picture, if you remember as a child or having children, as they're playing on the playground early on, every once in a while, they have to look back to make sure you're still there. And if you make eye contact with them and you smile and they smile, all is well with the world and they run off and they go play again. Knowing the security of your presence is there. That gives them the freedom to go out and experience independently the world. And their emotional, you know, developmental regulation system is at peace in that moment. But if they look back and they don't see you, more than likely, the play does not resume. They begin yelling for you, running around looking for you, or standing there maybe in a place of unrest or discontent, or even maybe crying, until you or someone they know, love, trust, comes and reassures and brings them back to a place of emotional regulation. This is the same system that we experience in our romantic relationships, obviously in a more mature kind of way, or sometimes not, <laughs> right? Yes, we yell for each other. Yes, we run around looking for each other. And sometimes we cry until we're reassured of their presence and um, care, right? But whatever, that's for in the actual counseling room when we track and map your disconnect cycle. But it's the same system. When we're sure of a person in our life, we're at our most emotional at peace. And we carry the thought of them, and that thought emboldens us, it gives us confidence. And we can focus on our best version of ourselves showing up in the playground of life in our world. But quite as opposite is true, too. There are times, if you recall, when we're not sure of our partner. And our emotional kind of um, discontent, lack of confidence, it's, it's just kind of going on in the background of life and we show up without focus or low energy or um, not sure 
of ourselves. So when that secure connection is present and we carry each other, that we are showing up in the world not just only as versions of ourselves, even though we're quite capable of being independent, there is a healthy interdependence that we are showing up as an us perspective. We're making decisions. We're presenting ourselves in light of one another as best versions of ourselves. So if we are hardwired for intimacy, then why is it so elusive, right? So just like everything in life, all things are in a state of erosion. It's not maintained well. And so there are attributes and rhythms of mature love that maintain the safety and security of this attachment, this bond, and it ensures the development of continued growth and deepening maturity in this love, and it creates intimacy in all levels of your being. And we're all emotional beings, mental beings, spiritual beings, physical beings, and sexual beings. And so when we have rhythms in our relationships, that continue to um, inform, address, and improve these connection points in our full being. It maintains the growth and the deepening of our intimacy over time. So let's start with the first one. Because these are the rhythms that can predict long-term relation satisfaction and longevity. Emotional engagement. Now, there's um, three different levels of this because it's that big of a deal. <laughs> You're thinking, no, it's not. If, if we could just agree on how to parent or if we can just agree on the finances or if we can just agree on how to handle the in-laws. Or if we just had sex more, I'm going to get to that, I promise. <laughs> then everything in our relationship would be fine and dandy, Dr. Shannon. So why are you talking about emotional engagement? Because we are emotional beings. And if our partner has the capacity to connect at the deepest level in our limbic emotional brain, it matters to us the most about how this partner shows up and what impression this person has of us. Maybe you're saying, I don't care who, what people say or think about me. You do about your partner the most. So let's talk about it. The biggest complaint of couples that I have coming into my counseling office isn't all of those other things that you might fight about. It's how you communicate around. So it's communication challenges. And there's three different levels. Let's take the first one. Life management communication. <laughs> and those are those things that, you know, how do we run our calendar? How do we 
run our household? How do we run our finances? Who's doing what and who's going where? What are the role divisions? And how do we make this small operation work well and smoothly? (laughs) Listen, couples don't even take the time to do that. (laughs) We are in a hurried world and it's continuing to get worse. And let's be honest, running a household is like a small business. There's an operating officer, an executive officer, a financial officer, and I don't know who does what and role in, in your relationship, but there are principals and executives that are running a, a major um, asset, financially and emotionally, and then there's the employees, those ankle biters that hopefully they're um, signed up for job roles and responsibilities within the small business as well. And hopefully there are kind of like goals, you know, what are your goals in your relationship? What is your mission of why you're together? And what, it, what are, how do you measure success on, you know, each year of parenting and asset acquirement and management of relationships. I mean, I don't, you see what I'm saying? That there are things that have to be discussed from year to year and year that get undiscussed. And especially as emotions of um, disappointment or hurt or conflict continue to increase, we get less and less desirous of wanting to show up to even have the hard conversations, the boring vanilla conversations of budgeting and uh, vacation planning and calendaring and um, who's going to take care of the plumbing um, call and who's going to make sure that that errand gets taken care of. Those are, those are, not fun conversation to have. And if we're not communicating across the level on all aspects, then those are going to go undone. And that only creates more and more stressors. And so we move from a place of managed to urgent. That as stressors kind of increase and urgency becomes, we have to talk about it. We have to address it. That we only talk about the things now in a stressful, urgent moment instead of a preemptive planning, managed kind of way, right? So couples experience heightened life stressors when not on the same page. I hear that a lot. We're just not on the same page. Resulting in moving through life responsibilities in the urgent, handling things in crisis mode, and ensuring more probability of conflict between each other because now we're talking about remediated stressors things that have already gotten to that last hour and they become dire. And it only enhances that conflict interaction kind of communication. Right? So secondly, the kind of communication that um, is problematic is conflict management communication. And it's not that you fight that research says. It's how you fight that research says is problematic. In fact, healthy disagreements are actually opportunities of connection because we're still revealing parts of ourselves that we want to have known, our likes and our dislikes, or when we're happy and we're disappointed, right? And hopefully we show up in ways where it matters to our partner 
when we're protesting something within the relationship. So all couples have disagreements and even arguments. Don't tell me <laughs> that you don't fight. That's problematic in and of itself. <laughs> because if there are two people or maybe one person that is constantly saying, I can't show up with this thing that matters to me and feel safe and secure enough that it's going to matter to my, my partner, that is going to continue to grow a level of dissatisfaction. And my guess is, gosh, I hope not, to the point where some of these people who are choosing in their later chapters when it's supposed to be golden years that they've planned for, that they've toiled the soil for long and hard enough that they get to experience those golden years of connection where we've raised the family, we're financially secure, but gosh, we've lost ourselves in the process and they're choosing for that gray divorce. So it isn't that they fight, but how they fight that is problematic. And so when unhealthy fight cycles activate our self-protection system, when we become so unsure of our partner on whether they are emotionally um, loving and accepting or physically and emotionally available and responsive to our needs, the care and keeping of our needs, we activate that self-protective fight, flight, or freeze. It results in behaviors of either escalating in that conflict cycle or moving away and preoccupying, turning outside the relationship to all kinds of different things, work, other friendships, maybe other romantic attachments, maybe activities, healthy or not healthy, our habits and hobbies, sometimes drinking, sometimes working too hard, sometimes investing time in other activities and people other than one another, or shutting down altogether, putting the wall up not talking through the hard things, not taking emotional risks that hopefully this matters to you because this is how I'm feeling, but creating distance and guard where we're not even now talking about the us any longer, right? And so when we don't have those ways of communicating through conflict in a healthy kind of way, it prevents work-throughs of our problems, and it doesn't give us healing of our hurts or offenses in the relationship. So those go undone over a long period of time, and they continue to fester. And when those happen, it shifts our want-tos, that we don't any longer have the emotional or physical desire to show up safe and secure in our partner. And that in itself impacts the want to in our partner. If we're not showing up, it has influence on whether they show up and vice versa. If they're not showing up, it influences how we are going to want to invest and want to show up. Right. And so then it compounds in the negative rather than the positive. 
And so the biggest predictor of divorce and the biggest thing that can stop intimacy in the relationship is this negative, rigid, unyielding fight cycle, this conflict cycle. And this is where I start with my couples. Because if we can undo that, map it uniquely, build a safe and secure protest conflict cycle, then we have a system that we can feed the hard topics through and get healing on the other side from hurts, or we can get work throughs from problems. We can have a safe and secure place to work through and get back onto a different path where it's compounding in the opposite direction again. Um, and lastly, in the emotional engagement arena is vulnerable sharing. And this is beyond business at hand, co-partnering and, and co-parenting and co-laboring, co-role division. And it's not just managing conflict. It's now just really getting to a place of enjoyable exchange of experiencing one another for the just pure enjoyment of it. Where we um, feel safe and secure enough to share hopes, dreams, fears, new discoveries, new growth, right? Playful banter, inside jokes, remembrances and nostalgic moments because that makes us feel good to be in each other's presence and company again. It's a renewal of all the maybe other stressful relationships that we've experienced in the day, whether it's parenting stressors or co-worker stressors or employer employee stressors, I don't know. Or maybe that um, really difficult moment on the other end of that line moment that we get to in, in experience something totally different in that connection with our partner that brings us joy and enjoyment and a knowing and experiencing that offsets all the rest. Secondly, it's that shared recreational and leisure partnership. Are you still having fun together? Is there carved in time that you still are able to play together and allow, allows for fun, laughter, and warmth? Are you experiencing your partner on a consistent, regular basis where you aren't talking about stressors of life? You aren't managing conflict. But you get to see them in a lightheartedness. And maybe a new environment. Go back to when you first started either dating or young married. I mean, when you really actually looked forward, planned forward, carved in time where you had to plan to see each other, you know, and now we've taken it for granted because we kind of now see each other a little bit more often, 24-7. I'm going to sleep beside you. 
I live under the same household. You're here, always here. <laughs> and we're not intentional with the planning. I'm not talking about just date nights. Date nights are all said and good. But if that's just a check mark on your list and it really isn't about a look forward to, a prepared, and we're not just on the last minute, oh, we have 30 or so minutes, let's go grab a bite to eat in that same restaurant, ordering the same thing when we're on our screens. Listen, I've, I watch in restaurants. Here's a confession. <laughs> I will pick out the couples in the restaurant on the ones that are on a first date, the ones that are newly dating or newly married, and the ones that are long-term. And you can tell. So it's not just that they're showing up together in the restaurant. It's how we're showing up. And let's get creative. I mean, everything else that is important enough to get on our calendar is scheduled. So let's schedule it and let's get beyond vanilla. Try a new hobby. Learn something together. Go move your bodies together again. I don't know whether that's, you know, some kind of physical, recreational, or, you know, a new mind kind of experience. I get creative because research says planning for, anticipating, researching together is equally as fun and endorphin releasing is actually experiencing it. So go get creative. So the anticipation, planning, and research is equally as rewarding as participation in the activity. It combats the stresses of life in the moment. Gives you things to talk about. Shared experiences that you can continue to relive, and it's not the back then and when. It's the current, right? Okay. So let's move on. Shared purpose and meaning activities. The spiritual connecting. These can be deeply spiritually connecting of doing together something that is greater than ourselves. These couples that talk to me that have find, found joint passions and joint um, activities that renew their value systems, that remind them of why they brought together, that creates a deep knowing of meaning and purpose in life beyond just the mutiny and the, yeah, you know, the, the vanilla of getting through the day. It goes deeper, right? So these are the outward branding of the us, that we came together for such a time as this for a purpose and a meaning beyond just buying a house together, beyond just having children together. Because those children, if you do a good job, hopefully go away someday and don't come back unless to visit. They can't be the only thing that brings you purpose and meaning in life. And so the branding of the us that represents inward shared beliefs and passions. You had some dreams when you first got started. And there were reasons why you were attracted to one another for meaningful that you were able to 
do together something bigger than you are able probably to do apart. And have we lost sight of that? And how do we renew the insight of that on a regular, frequently basis? Some couples go to corporate worship together. Some couples, you know, um, deepen a, a, a meaningful growth experience through reading or praying or serving. I don't know what that is. But I help couples find it again and start dreaming about not only what they can do together, but what they can accomplish together. And the meaning of give back in life that they can do a journey with together and share in that process. Lastly, guys, here we go. And that physical affection practices, and that's a whole continuum. I, I know that initially when a lot of people say intimacy, oh, that's that sex stuff. <laughs> I, I promise one of my 26-year-old um, sons told me the other day, I can't wait for your book to come out. Oh, by the way, this is my book is coming out next month, Intimacy for Life Method, um, Learning to Love Well. Naked and exposed, learning to love well using the intimacy for life method in your relationship. He goes, Mom, when's that sex book going to come out? I was like, son, it's not just a sex book. Oh, yeah, yeah, what, whatever. I just know that I'm in this stage of life where all of my friends are getting married and I want to give them your book for their, for their, for their um, wedding present. That's wonderful. Awesome. But it's not just a, a sex book. <laughs> okay, Mom. So... We have learned in this culture that sometimes we exchange the sex word to overarch it with intimacy. But intimacy is on all different levels. Yes, now we're at this physical place. And it's the special thing that God gave just one other person in your life that you get to share it with. It's that special. It's that important, right? So we develop rhythms of how we show up physically for one another because physical touch is so impactful. Again, let's go back to the attachment system when you were a child or when you had children. How much emotionally and physically was it important to caress, care, hold, rock, nurture, bring in to embrace your children. It's equally as important to maintain some of those rhythms in your emotional and physical um, co-regulation of emotional and physical needs in your romantic relationship through the power of touch. So that's hold handing, even if we're not completely okay with one another, even if we haven't completely worked through that conflict, even if we don't feel as if we have full resolve, but we still show up in affectionate kind of ways. The rhythms of bookends of our you know day of exiting, and returning. 
we seek each other out in a physical kind of way of reassuring and uplifting. We reach for each other in times of comfort and care and sickness. So physical intimacy involves a long continuum, ultimately leading to on only one end of the extreme healthy sexual intimacy. But there's so much more, right? There is just non-sexual touches. And then there is non-sexual touches that we only do with our partners. And then there are sexual connection points, sometimes leading to foreplay, sometimes then leading to reciprocity of pleasuring, sometimes leading to intercourse, and then sometimes intercourse leading to orgasm. And those are only sometimes because the rom-com movies of Hollywood want us to lead to believe, lead us to believe that, that is happens every time, all the time, mutually at the same time. And listen, it's so much more layered and complex that this is one of the last things that I work on with my couples because we have to get the other ones and the foundational stuff in place before that level of knowing and being known is addressed. And sometimes there's been hurt, not only prior to you coming into this relationship, but within the relationship itself, whether that's felt rejection or different libidos or physical changes in the body. There's so many layered things that sometimes uniquely we have to take it with a little bit more caution and sensitivity. But definitely when this part of a renewal system is working physically and sexually, it is so impactful of keeping our emotions regulated and that close intimate connection renewed. It hurts my heart when I have couples that show up into my office and they say, we haven't experienced that level of connection in sometimes years, sometimes decades. And that just hurts my heart because that's not the way God designed it. He developed and created that sexual union for good reason beyond just procreation. Because he wanted it for a special, intimate, pleasuring for both people, mutual reciprocity and physical pleasure and emotional connection that results in more spiritual meaning and purpose. So when these couples are able to get to the place where all four of these levels on every level are really ringing at an eight to 10 on a scale of 10, then these are the ones that have ensured intimacy and connection. And they keep it monitored on an annual basis with a maintenance program. And those couples that walk through my whole program have absolute 90% success rate. And they stay on this path 
over the course of the longevity in the relationship. And that's what I want for you. I hope that you want it equally as much for yourself. I hope that just like anything else in life is such a priority that you give it your time and attention and concerted effort. And that you just don't rest on your laurels that we found each other. Good for us. We're blessed. That you continue to keep a pulse of wanting to create the rhythms that maintain it. Thank you guys for showing up. Go use this information in ways that can enhance. And hopefully, even when my book comes out, you're a part of my ecosystem. We're going to let you know. Pre-sales start really quickly on Amazon. Um, and you'll have that. There's going to be a, a, lots of really great bonuses if you buy ahead of time. There's a marital assessment on um, online that you can um, really uh, get information on what are the areas that we need to hone into and how and which ones do we tackle first. This is the knowing that we weren't taught, right? So excited for you. But if you are in this place like, uh, Shannon, I think we need more than just maybe our own personal intervention and help. I'm here for you. You're going to find on this QR code all the different kinds of programs in the way that I show up, some of which are free and some other things obviously are more specialized that you're going to want to dedicate some of your resources towards. But we can start with, first and foremost, a 30-minute free consultation call so we can uniquely talk about your individualized needs and wants and challenges. You're going to notice that link right there in the chat. Thank you for that, Carly. And so I would want to get on a call with you free of charge to talk through what your next steps are. It is my passion and it is my honor. And it is my calling in life to deepen this connection, to ensure its protection, to make sure you show up learning how to love well for one another. Thank you for showing up for the Intimacy for Life Method webinar. And if you, in your replay, got any value of that, pass it along. I do these throughout the year. So if you want to pass it to friends and family, feel free to do that. It's my honor. And I will be having more live ones um, in the near future as well. You can check out my other ways that I offer free value. I have a free Facebook group that I go um, live on. I have a YouTube channel. If you are with me through LinkedIn, every week I show up live on Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. But most importantly, you're going to want to go and like and subscribe to my podcast, Love Leading with Dr. Shannon so that we can get the message out there to so many more people so that we are reducing and fighting against these gray divorces. <laughs> All right, guys, this is Dr. Shannon, um, and I will be here and available to answer any questions. If you are not yet ready to jump on a consult call with me, email me, drshannon at shannonrobertscounseling.com. And go and use this information to learn how to love well. Take care. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening, Love Leaders. Be sure to check out all our links in the show notes and visit me at shannonrobertscounseling.com. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe so you won't miss any others. Until next time, go lead in loving well.